Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Serious XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to it, everybody. October 21st, the Saban Theater in Los Angeles. Yes, I'm promoting it. Come on down. It's going to be a party with Stephanie Miller and Hal Sparks and Frangela and me and some very special guests. The Sexy Liberals Show. The only one of 2023. Live on stage in Beverly Hills. Welcome to Progress After Dark. We have a great show planned for you tonight with great producers making it happen. Chris Hauselt magnificently runs this beast from the studios in South Carolina. Thea Harper somehow keeps the train on the track night after night from the Brooklyn studios. I come to you from Manhattan. What a day. Are y'all okay? Do you need a minute? It's it's a lot to absorb, I know. This is a day when nothing happens, and it seems like everything's happening. The right-wing's Hunter Biden scandal completely crashes and burns today. Trump began the day with very scared lawyers, and then he had an extremely bad day legally. This heat wave is ramping up from Florida all the way to California. It is going to break records all across the country, and it is going to threaten public health Everywhere, 96 million people are under heat alerts. The hottest temperatures are coming for the Southwest. Please be careful. Please have water. Please make a plan. Please check on old people. Please check on animals. And in Georgia, a grand jury is now tasked with deliberating charges in Donald Trump's 2020 election interference allegations. Uh, it's been impaneled. It's going to be a RICO trial. Let's uh, let's tell you, we got a good one tonight. Really, really great show coming up this evening, and I'm so glad you're here for it. Dr. Tracy Pearson joins us to talk about Donald Trump's extremely bad day in the legal department. And we'll have uh, Larissa Reinhardt joining us shortly. She's the author of the new book, First to the Front, The Untold Story of Dickie Chappelle, Trailblazing Female War Correspondent. A really fascinating figure in the history of journalism who has been largely forgotten. And it's really strange. Dickie Chappelle is someone who should be a household name. And that alone makes it a really interesting book. But why isn't she? That is what makes it a compelling book politically. This was a woman who broke all the rules about how women were supposed to behave when it came to being a journalist and a war correspondent. Had an incredible life. Uh, spent weeks of her life in solitary confinement in different prisons around the world, was in many war scenes, was actually killed in Vietnam in 1965 by shrapnel. A truly incredible life of someone who changed the way women on the battlefield were seen from both the combat and journalistic points of view. Really, really cool book. Very happy to have her on. Are we ready? Are we all set? You got everything you need? Let's do a show. So Isaac Asimov wrote this. 
43 years ago. There is a cult of ignorance in the United States, and there always has been. The strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. I'm leaning on that quote more and more these days as I survey the Fellini film the party of Abraham Lincoln has turned into. Who's the worst senator? Really? I mean, if I pinned you down, who's who's the worst? I mean, I mean, Ron Johnson, he's the he's probably the dumbest. Maybe he was. But who's the worst? Josh Hawley? Ted, it's Ted Cruz, right? Rand Paul, Mitch McConnell, Tom Cotton. I could go on. Tonight, we're going to talk about a new contender, someone who's been in the Senate a very short amount of time and already has shown himself to be an exemplar of everything wrong with right wing America. It was 225 years ago today. The U.S. Marine Corps was established by an act of Congress. And today, for the first time in over 100 years, the Marine Corps does not have a commandant because it's been disrespected by Senator Tommy Tuberville, the man who treats our military like his personal bargaining chip. Now, as you guys know, Tommy Tuberville has been holding military nominations in the Senate up as part of his protest about the Pentagon and their reproductive health policies that were announced earlier this year. The Pentagon, because it supports its women employees, has said that they will provide support to service members and their dependents who have to travel out of state to receive an abortion if they're stationed in a state that just took that right away. Pentagon's not paying for abortions. It's helping pay for your transportation when you have to travel out of state. That's why Tommy the Tank Blocker is slowing things down. Now, you remember Tommy Tuberville, right? Remember Tuberville? The people in Alabama, they had a great public servant and a fine senator, Mr. Doug Jones. He had prosecuted Ku Klux Klansmen. He's been on this show. He's a great American, a civil rights hero. And the voters of Alabama preferred Tommy Tuberville, an ignorant racist football coach who's been called out as a racist by his own brother. And Doug Jones, as a Democrat for a couple of years, did a really good job for that state. But the good people of Alabama chose to have instead a former white nationalist than somebody with integrity and experience, as long as the white nationalist has an R by their name. We could talk about this all day. How could Missouri get rid of Claire McCaskill for that creepy con man, Josh Hawley? And how could Alabama get rid of Doug Jones, who prosecuted the KKK, who killed those four little girls in Alabama church with Tommy Tuberville, who looks like a guy who is the most respectable Christian in all of Hooters. Tommy Tuberville is the guy who said his father fought in World War II in order to defeat communism. College football coach, uh, not the brightest tool in the place where they keep the tools. So Tuberville also was famous because he was visiting the war room at the Trump International Hotel on January 5th, hours before the attack on the Capitol. He was there at the planning right alongside your Steve Bannons and Michael Flynn's. But right now he's in the Senate and he is holding up these nominations as his hostage, blockading military leadership from having its offices filled to protest these Pentagon policies. Early this year, he began doing this. And again, the policy just ensures service members and families are able to access non-covered reproductive health care. <laughs> um, Joyce Vance pointed out the policy is important because service members. So if you're sent to Redstone Arsenal in Alabama and you have a miscarriage that requires treatment to prevent sepsis, 
you'd be stuck in a dangerous position without the Department of Defense policy. If a service member is raped and becomes pregnant, Tuberville thinks she should be forced to have the rapist baby. And this has been going on for a while. Tuberville sat down yesterday with Armed Services Chairman Jack Reed, the Democrat from Rhode Island, to discuss these holds. They met just before Reed went to the Senate floor to ask for quick approval so the Marine Corps can have a new leader. Because it's 100 years, they haven't been without a leader. And now we don't have one because this football coach who replaced the civil rights hero uh, is holding it up because abortion. No resolution. So the Marine Corps has no leadership. General David Berger just stepped down after 40 years of service. And Tommy Tuberville has blocked 256 nominations in your military, including this one, because he objects to the Defense Department's abortion travel policy. First time in 100 years the Marines have been without a leader. Alabama ranks 44th in education. Alabama has 6,000 children in foster care right now. Alabama has been one of our beautiful country's poorest states since the Civil War. And Tommy Tuberville has blocked 256 military promotion nominations because the Pentagon's covering your car fare if you've been raped and have to travel outside the state to terminate your rapist pregnancy. Now, Tommy Tuberville's already, and I, I enjoy saying his name, he really does sound like a, the, the worst character from Thomas the Tank Engine, but he was in this interview with WBHM in Birmingham, Alabama last May. You remember, I want to play this one, where he was asked if he believed white nationalists should be allowed to serve in our military. Now, a sane person would say, no, how can a person who believes in racial superiority that America should be an ethnostate ever defend this country honorable? Well, you can't especially if you're a cop. But Tuberville said in referring to the Biden administration that they call them that. I call them Americans. Give a quick listen. This is Tommy Tuberville just two months ago. You mentioned the Biden administration trying to prevent um, white nationalists from being in the military. Do you believe they should allow white nationalists in the military? Well, they call them that. I call them Americans. Uh, What happened after January the 6th? And I was here on January the 6th. We were attacked on the Senate floor saying that all these people that came into the, the, the Capitol were, were extremists. Uh, they were against the country. Uh, there was a lot of people. There was probably 100 of them that came in, broke windows and broke doors. It mm, should have been yeah. locked up. Beat uh, up cops. That's not yeah. how we do it in America. But there mm-hmm. were hundreds of thousands that didn't come in outside that were true Americans that believe in this country. But mm, right after yeah. that, we, uh, our military... And Secretary Austin put out a order to stand down and all military across the country saying we're going to run out the white nationalists, people that don't believe how we believe. Uh, and that's not how we do it in this country. We have got so much division up here uh, that uh, not for the country. You know, this is not for any individual, this country. This country is for all of us. And we're all the same. It doesn't make any difference. You're rich, poor, black, white. It doesn't make any difference. Everybody as an American has opportunity to make this country better. It's, he uh, just we've talks. made it 247 years, but I'm going to tell you what, we're, we're walking a tightrope right now. How much longer this country is going to make it as we all know it. OK, that was one long, elaborate word salad vomit dodge of an answer. My favorite part was where he said Secretary Austin gave the stand down. <laughs> Austin is 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 Joe Biden's defense secretary. Uh uh, Austin, he made it sound like Austin gave a stand-down order on the day of January 6th. Did you notice that? So Webster's defines white nationalists as one of a group of militant white people who espouse white supremacy and advocate 
and forced racial segregation. That's the correct approach. Yes, if those people are in the military and you can identify them, they should be removed. Okay, those white nationalists, those so-called Americans attacked our capital on January 6, 2021. Tommy Tuberville thinks they should be in our military. And again, yes, hundreds of thousands of folks stood outside and didn't violate the Capitol. But those other folks that were there were there for a lie in service of destroying our democracy. Tuberville has subsequently in the last two months told reporters that he looks at a white nationalist as a Trump Republican. He says, that's what we're called all the time. I mean, okay. so here's the deal with Tommy. He's literally advocating openly for white nationalism at this point. But watching this story, this is where it's at with our racist loved ones. And you'll know this. You'll notice this with the people in your family. As long as you don't call them racist, they can be as racist as they want. So they'll defend white nationalism because they don't know what it means. They just don't want you to call them a racist. And again, uh, Tommy Tuberville is a white nationalist and He's a racist. He was on Donald Trump Jr.'s streaming show Triggered last month. I know you missed it. Aren't you aren't you embarrassed of yourself that you weren't catching that? It was a summit. He was talking about teachers in the inner city schools. And he talked about urban teachers and said, I don't know whether they can read or write. He said the covid really brought it out how bad our schools are and how bad our teachers are in the inner city. Most of them in the inner city. I don't know how they got degrees. I don't know whether they can read and write and they want to raise. They want less time to work, less time in school. We've ruined work ethic in this country. We don't work anymore. We push an easy life because, you know, public school teachers in Baltimore are lazy. And he later said he was only referring specifically just schools in Baltimore. He was saying that. So now cut to two months later, and he has placed a hold on a promotion, a reassignment of almost 200 officers in your military in response to this rather sensible and humane Defense Department policy. The policy will fund any expenses for personnel stationed in those states like Alabama, where abortion access is restricted. Tuberville says he objects because Congress did not approve of taxpayer money. The the man who just left the Marine Corps without a confirmed leader for the first time in 164 years. And where's Mitt Romney? Where's Lindsey Graham? Where's Mitch McConnell? Where are all these right wing frauds who pretend to support our military and national security? They're saying nothing. And then Tommy Tuberville went on CNN last night. I know you didn't see it. You were listening to us like a good American. But he gave this insane defense of white nationalists saying that he's against racism. But a lot of them just have different beliefs. He was on Caitlin Collins' show, and here he is on his bromance with the term. This is a senator, okay? Just listen. If you're driving while you hear this, please just breathe. Don't keep your eyes on the road if you get enraged. Senator Tommy Tuberville. Do you believe they should allow white nationalists in the military? Well, they call them that. I call them Americans. Do you want to explain those comments, Senator? Yeah, first of all... uh, I'm totally against any type of racism, okay? I was a football coach for 40 years, and I dealt uh, and and had opportunity to to be around more minorities than anybody up here on this hill. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when our military has been attacked, was being attacked after 9-11, after January the 6th, and that was my first day on the Senate floor, I I thought it was outrageous of what senators from the Democratic side, Chuck Schumer said on the floor that night, 
calling out people, calling people racist, calling people nationalists, white nationalists. White nationalists is just another word that they want to use other than racism. Uh, I'm totally against anything to do with racism. But the thing about being a white nationalist is just a cover word for the Democrats now where they can use it to try to make people mad across the country, identity politics. I'm totally against that. But I'm for the American people, I'm for military, I'm for Christian conservatives, Democrats, whoever wants to be in the, uh, the, the military to fight for this country, to protect this country. That's what it's all about. But just to be clear, you agree that white nationalists should not be serving in the U.S. military. Is that what you're saying? If, if people think that a white nationalist is a racist, I agree with that. I agree they should A white shouldn't. nationalist is someone who believes that the white race is superior to other races. Well, that, that's some people's opinion. Uh, and I don't think, that's I mean, a lot. Uh, pardon? What's your opinion? My opinion of a white nationalist, if somebody wants to call him white nationalist, to me is an American. It's an American. Now, oh, he if did that it again. white nationalist is a racist, I'm totally womp, against womp. anything that they want to do. Again. Because I am 110% against racism. But <laughs> So you understand, they know enough to say we're against racism and then just go do racist shit. That's how it is. White nationalism is racial nationalism. It, it espouses the belief that white people are a race and it and that they should maintain a white racial and national identity and that they are attached to the concept of a white nation a white ethno state uh, cambridge dictionary defines it as someone who believes that white people have their own racial and national identity what makes someone who they are and should have the most power authority and rights in a country usually based on the idea that they are better in some way than people from other groups. Tommy Tuberville didn't back down. He says he's against racism because you have to say that, but then says white nationalists are just Americans and the term is just a cover word for the Democrats to make people mad. And and Caitlin Collins, to her credit, tried to def- explain to him what the word meant, but this is Tommy Tuberville. You don't want to offend the fans back home. And again, white nationalists are literally defined as one of a group of militant white people who espouse white supremacy and advocate enforced racial segregation, according to Miriam Webster's dictionary. <laughs> now, again, this is Caitlin Collins, who recently gave the, our biggest white nationalist in the country an hour of free airtime on CNN. So points to her for trying to, to bring up some facts in this. Now, by now, you'd think someone in Senator Tommy Tuberville's immediate orbit would have sat him down to explain, Senator, please, please, just remember, look at the puppets. White nationalists are racist. This is not hard, Senator. The white white nationalists equal racists. And can I just say, Tommy Tuberville can talk about how anti-racism he is because of all of his time as a football coach, but wouldn't a football coach have a better appreciation of the men who enabled him to be famous, Tommy Tuberville is in the goddamn Senate because of the bodies of black men. And he's sitting here raising up white supremacists and then playing cute about it because I think racism's bad. White nationalism is racism. He should apologize. He won't. Even John Thune, the Republican whip, he, he said, I am not exactly sure what he was trying to say there. I mean, I would just say there's no place for white nationalism in our party, and I think that is kind of full stop. He couldn't do it. And Schumer, oh my God, you, you, you know what? Thanks a lot, Tuberville. You unleashed the Schumanator. Chuck Schumer wants the Senate Republicans to smack some sense into Tommy T. 
The responsibility is on Senator McConnell, Senator Thune, and the Republican caucus to dissuade to Tuberville from doing this thing which is wrecking our national security, hurting our national security in a very real way, and every week it gets worse. And again, this guy keeps defending white nationalists, then he walks it back. So, you know, he, he's, uh, he's stupid. I mean, when he said, if you're going to do away with most white people in this country out of the military, we got huge problems. Because most white people are white nationalists. His brother, Charles, is a singer-songwriter out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's played with Leon Russell and Bobby Keys and B.B. King. He just put out a statement, his own brother. Due to recent statements by my brother promoting racial stereotypes, white nationalism, and other various controversial topics, I feel compelled to distance myself from his ignorant, hateful rants. What I'm trying to say is I do not agree with any of the vile rhetoric coming out of his mouth. Please don't confuse my brother with me. Thanks, Charles Tuberville. Congratulations, Tommy Tuberville, joining the ranks of Paul Gosar in being distracted by your own family. So that brings us to today. Tommy Tuberville finally condemned white nationalists, sort of, telling reporters eventually today that white nationalists are racist but he you got to see the clip to see how he ignores the follow-up question from the one black female journalist give a quick listen to tommy tuberville trying to do damage control today why you continue to insist that white nationalists are american listen i'm totally against racism Democrats want to say that white nationalists are racist. I'm totally against that, too. But that's not a Democratic definition. The definition of a white nationalist is Well, that's your definition. My definition is is racism bad. The definition is that the belief that the white race is superior to all other races. Racism is totally out of the question. So do you believe that white nationalists are racist? Yes. If that's what a racist is, yes. Thank you. that is the definition. If that's what right, you, you understand, it's always the plausible window of deniability and wiggle room. So throughout the confirmation hearing for our most senior U.S. military officer, <laughs> Democratic senators have been speaking out against this ongoing hold on military nominations because Air Force General C.Q. Brown has been nominated to be the next chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He said today in the hearings, we will lose talent because of those challenges. He was speaking at his confirmation hearing. It's a routine step in the nomination process, except his confirmation has been stalled the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff by a guy who only got voted in because the morons in his state would recognize his name because football they elected a tackling dummy so thanks for taking this on man this is great um (laughs) it's really a pleasure watching this happen and can i just say remember when ignoramuses in the u.s tried to hide their stupidity remember when being stupid and racist was an embarrassing thing before trump now you will see heads of state you will see people like tuberville or marjorie taylor green wearing their lack of intelligence like a badge of honor saying there's nothing wrong with being a white nationalist with marjorie taylor green said as well this man is a clear and present danger to the readiness of your military and the democratic leadership right around now should start adopting rule changes to stop this guy from compromising our military okay keep the focus on tuberville democrats you got a campaign coming up i heard force republicans to publicly defend this man's take on white nationalists force republicans to defend his harming our national security by withholding nominations every time a republican mentions support for the military between now and election day of next year democrats should be holding up blow-up dolls of tommy tuberville for holding up over 250 military promotions you can't support the military and then stand by while one guy prevents the military from having its leadership in place 
And that's what Tommy Tuberville is. He is the face of the modern Republican Party. He is bone stupid. He's proud of his ignorance. And he's ready to defend his ignorance because freedom. Completely untethered from reality. Completely untethered from what the party of Reagan. I'm sorry. Well, from the party of Reagan and the party of Lincoln. And by God, from the freaking party of Quail. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, your calls and Larissa Reinhart. This is Progress. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Sorry if I got all worked up over Tommy Tuberville, Chris. It has that effect on me. I didn't even get to Leslie Van Hooten yet. Please, John. Yeah. In, our ha- in my house, we, are, we call him Thomas Potato Town. Why is that? Well, potatoes are tubers and a villa's a town, ah, but I refuse go. to be, I refuse to be European about it with him. You thought through your childish taunts about his name in a much more academic way than I did mine. So well done. Uh, I am so pleased to welcome our next guest to the show. Um, you know, here's the deal. In terms of Women's History Month, there is women that make history, of course, and then there's women that make history, but they don't get recorded in the history books. And that's all too common. If you haven't heard of Dickie Chappelle, you're probably not on your own, but a new biography, First to the Front, the untold story of Dickie Chappelle, trailblazing female war correspondent, tells an incredible story that is a movie crying out to be made about a photojournalist who was the first female war correspondent to be killed in combat. But it's more than that. It, it, it's a story about a person who changed what a journalist was supposed to do and changed how much of a journalist's heart was supposed to be in the work. Chappelle overcame all kinds of discrimination in, in the States and on the battlefields around the world, and so much of work has been buried from the public eye until now. Larissa Reinhardt is a cultural critic and historian. She writes about art, war, and politics. You may have read her stuff in Hyperallergenic or Perfect Strangers. Her new book is the first authoritative biography of Dickie Chappelle, who from World War II through the early days of Vietnam 
got her a story by any means necessary. It's called First to the Front, the untold story of Dickie Chappelle, trailblazing female war correspondent. What a pleasure to welcome Larissa Reinhardt to SiriusXM. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you so much. I, I loved stories like this, and I, I, I loved your book. And I have to say, it's really two stories in one. You have said that Dickie Chappelle should be a household name. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like this is a book about why she should be. But mm-hmm. it's also a book about why isn't she? And uh, I'm curious, what was it that first drew you to her story? Well, actually, I first learned about Dickie Chappelle when I was in high school. Um, I had this album by Nancy Griffith, who is a wonderful folk singer. Great song. And on this album, she had a song called A Pearl's Eye View, which was all about Dickie Chappelle. And she would jump out of planes and march with armies around the world to get her story and tell the truth, no matter how difficult it was. But... You know, she was a folk hero of mine, and you don't really think about writing a book about a folk hero, you know? So it wasn't until years later that I started digging into the actual person of Dickie Chappelle, and I came to realize how incredible she was, but also how unknown she was. And I just knew that I had to write this book, this biography about her. I mean, on the one hand, her the amount of firsts she had are mm-hmm. notable, and I want to talk about a lot of them because her life is amazing. But also her approach to her work, her famous quote you employ is, I side with prisoners against guards, enlisted men against officers, weakness against power. Mm-hmm. She was a journalist who was biased in favor of justice at a time when impartiality was the holy grail for all journalists. Yeah, she was really a partisan in a lot of ways. And that went back to her time, actually, um, in a communist prison. And she was reporting on the Hungarian Revolution. She was apprehended by the secret police. And she was held in solitary confinement for the better part of six weeks. Mm. And so she knew what it was to live under tyranny, I think, in a lot of way, in a way that a lot of white Americans cannot understand. And so she came out of this experience with a deep sense of solidarity for people fighting for freedom all over the world, whether they were fighting against communism or Western imperialism, as in the case of the Algerian Liberation Front, where she was the first reporter of either of any gender to be embedded with them and march with them for almost a month behind enemy lines and really came to sympathize with them and called their quest for self-determination Jeffersonian, right? And this is at a time when American, or rather America, was supporting the French who were continually trying to, you know, um, uh, prop up their colonialist government. And she was saying, no, this is wrong. Like, this is our allies, but they are betraying our ideals, our idea of freedom. I mean, it's incredible because she marches with the Cuban Revolutionary Army. She, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned the, the six weeks in solitary confinement. She was arrested by Soviet border guards. And throughout mm-hmm. this entire career, she's doing this as a woman in a war zone, overcoming all the misogyny, overcoming all the mockery. And, and she's doing it wearing pearl earrings. I got to tell you, it's just an amazing story. And absolutely. And one of the reasons that she was able to overcome so much of this misogyny very quickly was because she had this incredible sense of empathy for for people fighting for freedom 
Um, but she also knew how to soldier, right? Like in 1955, she went to Camp Pendleton to cover the Marines developing new strategies for the Cold War battlefield. Well, mm-hmm. in doing this, she herself learned how to soldier. She learned how to march 25 miles a day, how to dig a foxhole and how to do a combat role and probably how to fire a gun. So yeah. whenever she went into uh, a combat zone, she knew what she was doing immediately. And that wasn't true of a, a lot of journalists at that time. Right. They sort of didn't know what they were doing and the soldiers had to cover them. And she was able to integrate herself immediately into any fighting force that she spent time with. It really seems, though, that she's one of those people that you could drop into any situations and she would have mm-hmm. an uncanny, innate ability to make the most of it and, and find a way to thrive. I mean, you talk about how after she flunked out of school, she w- got sent to live with her grandparents in Florida and she mm-hmm. had a little job publicizing an air show in Miami and, and, and then went to Havana to cover an air show. And, and she wound up seeing a crash and turned it into a pitch for The New York Times. Yeah, and she was only 19 years old at the time, right? She just had this sort of nose for the story and an incredible temerity to get it told. So there was this unfortunate crash of um, the captain of the uh, rather Cuban Air Force. She ran right out to the field to report on the story, and then she ran to the telephones to phone it into the New York Times, and she got it published when she was just 19 years old. And that was really her first foray into... um, real, you know, on the ground reporting. Just being there and being the person who was able to convey it into the phone, got her to New York, where Mm -hmm. she wound up taking photo lessons from the man who became um, her only husband, right? Yes. So, you know, she was 19, as I said, and he was in his 40s. And um, his name was Tony Chappelle. She took his name. She kept his name. Um, But it was not a happy marriage. You know, he was uh, he was her photography teacher and he saw her as the sort of figure that he could mold into an ideal woman or his ideal woman, as it were. And she was not anyone's ideal woman. She was her own person. She was an amazing woman. She was an amazing person. she was an amazing person. So uh, she did finally leave him after 14 years. And it's difficult to imagine someone like Dickie staying with someone like that, who was frankly manipulative is a kind way to put it. But I think that just speaks to what a lot of women go through, right? We, we all have these, well, many of us have these outward personas of competence and bravery, but we're dealing with difficult things at home. And so I really wanted to include that in the book to show women and men and everyone that just because something looks great on the outside doesn't mean there's not struggles internally. But it was that unhappy marriage that she got Mm -hmm. out of. And and as you document in the book, she barely mentions her husband in her memoir. (laughs) But that's what led her to becoming a, a great photojournalist. That's what led her to becoming the first female war correspondent. Absolutely. I mean, all of our challenges and all of her challenges lead us to the person who we are. And so there's no doubt that, you know, her ability to overcome that hurdle, that obstacle helped her overcome other difficulties in her life, to be sure. Did she have an innate sense of courage that drove her to want to be in dangerous war zones? 
I really believe she did. You know, you mentioned that she got a job at an air show. That wasn't her first job at an air show. She got a job before that um, in her hometown of Milwaukee. Her parents sent her home, sent her packing to um, to uh, Miami to try to get away from airplanes. She took part of her salary in flying lessons. She always wanted to be where the action was. And that sort of um, teenage bravado happened to coincide with the beginning of World War II, right? Mm-hmm. This is 1939. She's in New York City. She's going to the t- you know Times Square to see what the news is because in that day, you know, it's called Times Square because the New York Times building is there and they would have the ticker around the building to say what it is. And she walks into Times Square on break from her job at TWA and it reads, you know, Hitler has invaded Poland. And so she is 19 years old and World War II begins. And she just feels that she has to be there, that she has to report on it. And she continues that through the rest of her life. But yes, absolutely. She had an innate sense of bravery and courage and desire to be in the center of things. I mean, she was at Iwo Jima and and, Mm. and not just there, but didn't she sell her photos to try to encourage people to donate blood back home? She actually donated her photos to to encourage people to donate blood. So because she was a woman, yeah, because she was a woman, she had to uh, women couldn't be in combat uh, during World War Two. They had to be where women were already. And what this meant is that they had to be where nurses were. So she was often stationed in hospital ships or in field hospitals. And she really saw a lot of what happened after the battle. Right. What happened to men when they were taken back to the hospitals? when they were treated, when they had their limbs amputated. And she talked to them for long periods of time about their hopes and their fears. And she saw how important blood was in treating these men and in saving their lives. And she was so moved, actually, um, while she was on a hospital ship, that the staff of the hospital ship got together and had a blood drive right before they arrived in Iwo Jima to make sure that they had enough blood for the men when they when they got there and she vowed then to sort of dedicate herself to helping uh armed service members um have that care that they needed and and that empathy and compassion just comes out so much in the writing itself i mean you you detail how she was so committed to not portray the people in war zones she interviewed as victims but to actually find the story of what it was like to be oppressed by a harsh regime what it was like to fight for independence in this time and it seems like that very immersive approach to her stories is really what set her apart from many other um just rather rote journalists of the day who believed your job was to not be emotionally invested in your subjects Absolutely. I mean, when we look at the Vietnam War era, we have this sense of new journalists, the sense of investigative journalism. Well, when she was doing her work, that was not the case, right? You would go to the press um, meeting and the press uh, officer would tell you what the general said, and then you would write that down and you would report it. And that was journalism. Well, she wasn't interested interested in that. She wanted to be an eyewitness to what was going on. And in doing that, and with coupled with her experiences in World War II and her experience in a communist jail, she wanted to tell stories about people, not the people making the policy, but the people affected by the policy, not the people declaring war, but the people waging war. And I think another thing that makes her really unique is that she not only 
valorize the bravery of the people who were fighting, but also the people who were building peace out of rubble. And what I mean is that she went out of her way to talk about how important women were in keeping peace and making peace. And that's at a time when most journalists, most historians didn't uh, see or recognize the value of women's labor. And she really talked about, especially, um, you know, she documented uh, the post-war conditions in Europe. And she talked about how women were able to make their children smile, not only keep them alive, remind them how to smile, even in war and even in privation. It's remarkable to see how over time and over all these different combat zones, eventually she came to really have the respect, not just of the troops she covered, but also of her her journalistic peers. Yes. Um, you know, if you if you best them again and again and again, they have to admit uh, your competence eventually. And so when she, uh, you know, in the 1960s, she was recognized by the Overseas Press Club and a number of other journalistic organizations as being extraordinary. You know, she captured the first uh, photograph of Marines in combat in Vietnam. And this was well before um, combat Marines were deployed to Da Nang. Um, So her her ability to get the story was undeniable to anyone. And I'm curious, I know early in her uh, career, she had support for Fidel Castro, but uh, she was very anti-communist, right? She was very anti-communist. You know, she was one of the few journalists to make it to Castro's camp. And her description of him is so interesting to me because she pointed out that he is best when he has an enemy. Yes. And that is true of so many tyrants and dictators. And she recognized that immediately. So more than Fidel Castro, she thought Fidel Castro might be okay, right? But she really had belief in his army, in the people who were fighting. And he, Castro, very quickly went out of his way to silence those voices of opposition. And But she was also very critical of the American government, right? Um, this oh, is yeah. a little in the weeds, but, uh, you know, part of, a massive amount of Cuba's economy then and now was sugar. Yep. And America was propping up the Batista regime with su- sugar subsidies. And she insisted that America continue these sugar subsidies to Castro in order to make sure that he didn't go to the Soviets for help. Well, America ended the sugar subsidies and guess what happened? He went to the Soviets and he was some, his hand was somewhat forced. So, you know, she both had questions about Castro, but she also had serious concerns about um, the American foreign policy that sort of pushed him in the direction that he eventually went. Absolutely. Her death is very tragic. She was killed while embedded with troops in Vietnam in 1965, I believe. What happened? So, in 19, as you said, in 1965, she was on patrol with some of the first combat Marines deployed to Vietnam in July, which is just south of Da Nang. They are only a few steps out of base, out of the base. And the young Marine in front of her, 19 years old, steps on an improvised explosive, explosive device. And because it's improvised, right? Like if you step on a landmine, you're the one who will be killed. Well, because it was improvised, she was the one who was lifted some 20 feet into the air and suffered a number of of severe injuries. 
Mm. And because they were close to camp, the chaplain was able to rush out to her. And her last words were reportedly, it was bound to happen. Wow. And I get the chills every time I say that because there are very few people who can survive 20 years in combat zones. And she really was in combat, especially near the end, more than she wasn't. But she also, the night before, went to dinner with a friend. And she told him, when I die, I want to die while on patrol with the Marines. She loved the Marines. They were her touchstone since Iwo Jima. And so while her death was tragic, it was also the death that she wanted in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that to be macabre, but, you know, she lived and died reporting on and really advocating for freedom. And it is, it is a tragic, but a fitting end to an extraordinary life. The first American female reporter to be killed in action and the first female war correspondent to be killed in Vietnam. And she was given a full Marine burial. Why do you think her story hasn't been told until now? Why do you think she hasn't become a household name? So that's a really complicated question. The Marines obviously still have a lot of respect for her and hold her memory dear. And I'm going to be honest, and perhaps I shouldn't. I think she has three strikes against her in terms of becoming sort of a more popular name in history. One, she's a woman. Right. So that's strike one. Not a lot of women are written, were written about. Many were forgotten. They are their own best advocates while they are alive. When they die, if they don't have an advocate that's sort of already lined up, then their stories are forgotten. Two, she was anti-communist. She deplored communism and was not didn't mince her words. And a lot of academia at that time, where a lot of history is sort of recorded, um, was not anti-communist and painted her with a similar McCarthyist brush as they did many other anti-communists. And that was, she was not a McCarthyist. She did not like McCarthy and she did not brand all people who lived under communism as bad. In fact, she very much sympathized with them. And then the third thing was she wrote largely about people of color, about people around the world fighting for freedom. And she was very vocal about telling Americans that these were the people on the front lines of the Cold War, that these were the people fighting for a free world and that they were not doing their part, that white America wasn't doing their part in this fight. And I'm not exaggerating about this. She was incredibly articulate and direct. And she Mm -hmm. wrote this to the Joint Chiefs of Staff and to the Marine Commandant So she wasn't quiet about it either. Who plays her in the film? That's all I could think (laughs) the whole time. I'm sorry. It's just an incredible story. There's so many locations for it. I know. I know. Um, You know, I think it is just such a wonderful, incredible story. And I would love it to be brought to life on screen. Um, There are so many incredible female actors right now who I think would be great. (laughs) Honestly, I I will admit uh, it it was a lot of history that I didn't know Mm -hmm. about. And I'm so embarrassed I didn't. And I'm so grateful to you for writing such an excellent book and a gripping read. Once again, the book is First to the Front, The Untold Story of Dickie Chappelle, Trailblazing Female War Correspondent. Larissa Reinhardt, what is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and all your work? 
Oh, um, I'm on Instagram and Blue Sky and uh, Threads now, uh, <laughs> mostly at Larissa Reinhardt. You can find me. You can find me on my website, LarissaReinhardt.com, and you can pick up First to the Front at your local independent bookstore or bookshop.org or anywhere books are sold. Congrats on all the great reviews. Really a pleasure having you with us. Thank you. We'll be you. right back with your calls at 866-997-4748. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs, just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. I am so pleased now to welcome back to the show the lady who classes up this joint every Tuesday night. I first fell madly in love with Dr. Tracy Pearson when I was on a couple of shows on News Nation with her. She's a terrific legal analyst and consultant you've seen on TV or heard on radio or read about in Forbes, Fast Company, The New York Post, Cheddar News. She's everywhere. Dr. Tracy Pearson, welcome back to Sirius XM. Thank you, John. It is wonderful to be here, mostly because you fill my need to feel good about myself, which is oh, fabulous. That's very good. Well, I majored in completely insincere flattery, and you are so brilliant to have picked up on that. I want to say, honestly, I, I'm a completely <laughs> fraudulent, obsequious con man. I, I, have no, I mean nothing that I say, and you're so brilliant to have picked up on, <laughs> on how flattering I am. Thank you. Um, I feel like I'm talking to Donald Trump, Tracy, because it just seems like if you're in his circle, all you can do is shower him with compliments if you want to continue to get paid. And of course, what could ever go wrong there? He's homeboy's having a bad week and it's only Tuesday. He is having a fabulously bad week, and and it makes me so happy. I, I spent a lot of time today reading um, a motion written by um, one of his puppets, and uh, I, I was screaming at, at my Adobe reader. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, let's go through it all, because today uh, something incredible happened. You know, people mm-hmm. have been really angry for a couple of years now that our Justice Department, run by Merrick Garland on our tax dollars, has continued to defend Donald Trump in court against E. Jean Carroll's defamation lawsuit. And today the DOJ announced they will no longer defend him as being immune in any E. Jean Carroll suits. They had previously said that Trump was acting within the scope of his employment as president when he made these defamatory, allegedly defamatory statements uh, about her when she claimed that she had sexually been assaulted by him. Now Merrick Garland is reversing his position. They are leaving Trump on the hook for any potential damages. And Tracy, the reason they gave was a jury just found him liable for sexual abuse and he's already being sued for a defamation again. Not a big surprise. That is that is one reason. I, the other reason is that generally speaking, when you're president, you represent everybody and you shouldn't be talking trash about people who who you don't particularly like. Um, 
when when they're just an average citizen that you're supposed to represent as the head of state. So, yeah, I, I think that that made total sense. Frankly, it should have been done a long time ago. But hey, you know, baby steps. Now, this thing has been bouncing around in the courts for a while now as to whether the original certification was proper. It's 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 been in multiple courts in New York and D.C. There hasn't really been a resolution. It seems like the DOJ just decided after the verdict, a jury handed down that there's adequate evidence to say that, uh, yeah, he, he, he was acting within the scope of his employment then, but no more. Yeah, and and it's it it is a weird case in that some of the the comments were made during his presidency, um, and some of them I I think maybe before that and and during during campaigning. And so um, the, the question is, uh, you know, they they split the trials in in two, so they bifurcated the issues, and some of them were in one court, another in another court. It just it was a mess, and it was hard to follow in in the news reports. And so you had to really look at the pleadings and and this issue had cropped up, which is right. he was asserting that that he he was immune, which was ridiculous. And um, that has now been resolved. Thank goodness for for Eugene Carroll. And again, her 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 second lawsuit is the one that went to trial where the jury found Trump liable for sexual abuse because that's what really happened. Our media's forgotten this already. But those claims didn't involve Trump's time as president. Is that why they weren't held up by the immunity issues? Um, yeah, I, that's my understanding is because he wasn't uh, it wasn't in the scope of his duties and um, and and it wasn't it wasn't during that time period. So it was allowed to move forward. Um, and and so it, it the the comments about it and the actual conduct, that was the other thing is the conduct occurred many years ago. Um, and so, yes, and now there's this new allegation of defamation. And now um, Ms. Carroll is asking that that his um, claim, his cross, what they call a cross claim or counterclaim, uh, is uh, dismissed for defamation because of this issue. But also, um, it just makes no sense. Um, right. You're protected <laughs> when you're bringing a claim in court. It's protected activity. And so the lawyers that this guy finds are are, are hired whores. I'm going to go out yes. there and say no, it. No, no, they're I, they, they are. They are. But even, and, and, even and, then, even then, I don't know if they are, because actual whores don't string you on for more billable hours, do they? Actual whores <laughs> want to get the job done and move on with their lives. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, generally speaking, you get tired of your client, you want to get rid of them and and you get paid and you move along. And and I hate saying that about people in my my, you know, former profession. But but Jesus, they're high. No, no, no. Come on I'm now. We got no, it. no, no. Let's let's be Giuliani is probably going to be disbarred. A former federal prosecutor. He he, he will be. I mean, I, and they recommended it. You got Jenna Ellis, who actually had the Colorado bar write a letter she signed saying, I am a big fat liar. Lynn Wood just announced the other day that he's going to retire early because he will be disbarred if he doesn't. And right. I just saw Ty Cobb showing up like the friendly old grandpa on CNN tonight. Glad he got away from this train wreck. I mean, we're finally witnessing the reckoning for all these lawyers who put our nation through so many months of cases, which have you pointed out, which you pointed out, were almost all of them thrown out of court, some with extreme prejudice. Yes, all pushing absolutely. 
They um, they the, these cases should never have been brought. It is um, a, a I think a, a blot on on the legal profession. L- lawyers already had a problem when it came to Shakespeare saying that there needed to be, you know, 400 of them or whatever down at the bottom of the ocean. It was a good start. Yeah. And, and we've been fighting this problem ever since. And, and so I think that that this didn't help us and it pisses me off. In fact, I got into a little little squirrely uh, spat on 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 TikTok of all places. What um, well, where where these folks are saying that they don't have to pay their student loans because of Deuteronomy and they're going to write letters and they're going to try to get that letter. You know, re- obviously the claim uh, that they're making rejected so they can form a class action. People knock the crap off. That isn't going to work. And and so I, I got into it there. But but what, what they said was that lawyers are always lying. No, mm-hmm. no. Lawyers are not always lying. Crappy lawyers lie. Lawyers for who are who are, uh, you know, hired whores for the former president lie. Well, some of them do, clearly. And now today, uh, it just got even stickier because not just the E. Jean Carroll story happened today, but the grand jury was seated in Atlanta that will decide whether Trump or his allies are going to be charged with more crimes related to his efforts to overturn the election results in the state of Georgia. I mean, we're hearing he's going to be charged with racketeering, maybe leading a conspiracy to overthrow the election loss there. This is the first Republican president to lose Georgia in more than two decades, and he lost it a month later when those two senators won the runoff election. Now, I mean, he could face jail time for this. Absolutely. He could also face jail time in New York. New York, small potatoes in comparison to this. This is a big yeah, deal. This is and then, bigger. of course, the, the federal cases are, are case, uh, most likely cases moving forward, um, are, are, are a big freaking deal. And he is panicking and acting like a, a pathetic transparent pathetic fool um through his attorneys and and equally upsetting and i know that it's it's getting people all sort of twisted when they when they hear the news stories about this continuance and request and and all this stuff going on and it's all very complicated stuff until you look at it and read it and you go boy they're dumb they well, really are desperate to, oh yeah but but now i mean it's really desperate because he's trying to delay the classified documents trial so it would happen after the presidential election which he is eerily sure he will win so we can stop this trial and not face any kind of accountability but i mean after the presidential election tracy is more than a year after what the government's proposed jack smith wants to do it this december and get it done before the primaries start and there's a reason for that there's a law there's a federal law it's called the speedy trial act and it yes. requires that you go to trial um within 70 days of your um uh, no sooner than 30 but but no later than 70 days after your first appearance in front of the judge and so um there's some calculations that get taken into account for example when you file a motion for a uh, a pre-trial hearing um, or pretrial conference, there's there's days that are subtracted from that 70. So, for example, the day of the motion is filed all the way through to the hearing date and then up to 30 days while it's under consideration would be subtracted from that time period that's elapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's 70 days. And and the thing is, is that, you know, I looked at this pleading and it I read it and I commented, I annotated, I got pissed off at it because there were just so many stupid comments made in it. When you're outright begging for a continuance because you're running for president, dude, that's a choice. It's a so choice. I, 
I think, Tracy, I've, I've got the next few months all sketched out in my mind how insane this is going to be, because Trump's hoping a judge will delay the trial until after the Lee election, and then he'll win, and he can pardon himself, and that'll prove he was innocent all along. I mean, we've never had a former president charged with a crime, let alone running for president again while charged with a crime. But, I mean, leaving out all the cases we've discussed, leaving out Alvin Bra- every in October, Trump and his kids and the Trump Organization are going to go on trial again in New York City over tax and business fraud. In December, Jack Smith is hoping the government puts him on trial about the classified documents. In January of 2024, there's going to be the other E. Jean Carroll defamation trial against Trump after a jury already agreed he sexually abused her. Also in January, the other New York trial about whether he and his company promoted a pyramid scheme while he was hosting The Apprentice. He could be cross-examined for that. And then in March... Right when the Republican primaries start, his criminal trial will begin in New York City on the hush money payments to the porn star. This guy is not going to have a good year, is he? He's not going to have a good year. Um, the federal case generally will will take precedent over the other cases. I know that Alvin Bragg has talked about that that he's going to uh, sort of delay, not delay, but but um, that that depending on on the dates of the federal case, this set case would take secondary precedent. Precedence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it, the scheduling of things, basically, as I, I think I tweeted, and, and I don't even know what the term is for threads yet. I do like threads, though, um, is <laughs> is that it is stop doing the stop being so really good at the criming and, and you won't have <laughs> scheduling problems. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's my feeling about it, because that was one of the paragraphs in this motion. This federal motion was, oh, God, look at all these cases that we have that we have to work on. The second issue is, dude, don't hire a lawyer who is one person in his office. He's one person. He left who his law firm. Who are you referring firm. to? Who are you referring to? His, his current lawyer, uh, Chris, okay. is, yes. is, is his last name. Um, I, I lose track. They come and go There's so frequently. There's so many. Um, so many. Yeah. Um, people come and go so easily around here. But he is somebody who left a law firm because he couldn't continue. To, he couldn't represent Trump if he stayed there. So he left this big firm and he he went on his own. If you look at his website, it's like, you know, some crappy little website. And and so he that's his one client, it looks like. And so, um, hmm. he, yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. hey, if you don't have the manpower for it, that's your problem. And they do cite that. They say, well, we can't farm out the discovery review to a third party um, company, which is something that is often done in big cases because of classified information. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, you should have picked better counsel. Jesus. My I mean, God. I've God help him if I were the judge on this case, because I could tell you exactly what I'd be saying during that hearing. I, I mean, mean a it's lot of, just well, you pointed out that judges hate to be manipulated. We don't know yet, however, if Judge Aileen Cannon likes it. We 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 don't know. We know <laughs> she gave him a special master as soon as he asked for it, but I mean, this is a woman who's got one eye on the Federalist Society giving her a hell of a promotion one day, and the other eye uh, not going down in history as Trump's marionette. Right. She is. She she has the job now. Um, she also has a second issue, which is that she sort of does have a, another master, and that is um, her um, her quasi boss, which would be the chief judge who likes their stats in the court to remain what they are. They like being known as the rocket docket. So when your statistics yeah. on how long you drag out a trial, drag the rest of the court down, they don't like that because the government is all about filing reports at the end of the year. And, and you know, that has something to do with, with how the courts are run and, and wow. how effective you are in your reputation. So she's going to get pulled. I think that ultimately what's going to happen is, is she, 
is and I, I hate predicting, but I think she she's going to she's going to do the right thing when it comes to administering the court system, because she's going to feel pressure from above her, which is the person who she has to answer to when it comes to the administration of the courts. Exactly. Yep, for some calls, Dr. Tracy. Absolutely. We have a lot of our evil army of the night. Evil army of the night wants to weigh in on things. We've still taken your. We haven't even started talking about Tommy Tuberville. He's the star of the evening. <gasps> Let's go to Stephen in Kentucky, who's been on hold Stephen. the longest. Stephen, I hope you're still alive out there. Thank you for waiting. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, thank you uh, so much. Before thank I you. begin tonight, Please. I forgot to mention this the other evening. Yes. And I think she should be recognized because you were talking with that guest who talked about the feminist pioneer earlier tonight. Yes. When it came to um, war correspondence. Yes. And speaking of correspondence, the other evening, Dorothy Kilgallen's birthday would have been. Uh, on July the 3rd. Okay. And Miss Kilgallen also was quite a pioneer in her field. And uh, it's all, we all know what happened to her, uh, which is very unfortunate. Well, not everybody uh, does. I, I mean, do. she, was, she was very famous. She was a journalist, but she was also like a big, a big celebrity on game shows. I mean, she was, she was mm, what, very well known. Well, she was, and she was also, she had an ongoing investigation into the Kennedy assassination Yes, she did. Well. She, did not, she did not trust everything about the Warren report, but she was on What's My Line all the time. But go ahead, for those who don't know, tell about her, her sad ending. Well, she supposedly, they said, on the, uh, actually she died the same day the Days of Our Lives premiered on NBC, and that's how I remember the date of her death. Hmm. But she... But I know that I saw an episode from you on YouTube from when she did What's My Line a yes. couple of hours before she supposedly was killed. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that I did, I've been through suicide myself, addiction and suicide. I, I've been through a suicide attempt before. And I can tell you from my own experience, that woman did not look like she was that despondent. When she was on there, you could tell body language, you could tell her facial expressions. She did not seem like she was on the edge of despair. But who would want to kill Dorothy Kildallan? Who would want to kill Dorothy? There was was no indication of violence uh, at at the time. I I think the cops said that it was an accident, that she just just OD'd on on Well, they said it was... they said it was a suicide that she was depressed, but I, but also they said the same thing about that other lady we spoke about before, Mary Pinchon Meyer, who died a little over a year before hers. Mm. And guess what? Another connection to the Kennedy assassination as well. So, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, Robert Kennedy Jr. is right for bringing some of this up to people's and, attention. And what too. what got Dorothy Kilgallen on your mind tonight? Well, because a friend of mine on Facebook recognized her, and I forgot to mention her birthday the other day. That's oh, okay. Well, that's can... Miss okay. Kilgallen. But as far as um, you know, this whole thing with uh, Tupperville, Tupperville reminds talk about Tupperville. me of that. Uh, yeah, that that uh, hayseed. Um, he reminds me of that coach on Forrest Gump. I don't know if you remember uh, the one at University of Alabama, you know, right. uh, the one that called Forrest Gump, oh, he's, he might be stupid, but he's a hell of a son of a bitch or something like that. I do, mm. That's who he reminds me of. You know, he, he just and – I, and I called my congressman's office today about this, and I wanted to ask them point blank, why is it that this man is not censured? This green yes, woman and this 
this hayseed. They need to be censured. They do. They did it to Senator Joseph McCarthy years ago, and there's no reason why. I'm sorry. How in the hell? I'm going to say this again. I have said this tons of times. Okay. Clearly, it goes in one ear it. and out the other. I'll take How it How in the hell are we going to eradicate future terrorism abroad if we refuse to do something about this problem in this country in the here let, and fucking now? Let me I mean, offer you. It, it uh, let me, okay, let me, okay, let me offer you a different way of looking at it, and I want to go to Tracy on this. Uh, what if instead of censuring them, because the Republicans will never censure Tommy Tuberville, what if the Democrats just make the Republicans own it? What if they are asked the question, do you agree with him that white nationalists aren't racist? Do you agree with him that it's okay to stall having a commandant of the Marine Corps and to delay over 200 promotions because he doesn't want the military to support the reproductive rights of our women serving in the armed forces? I think the Democrats should let him be as awful as they can, just like George Santos, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then pick them up by the ankle and beat the Republican Party with them. That's my th- take on it. But let me go to Dr. Tracy, because I've been dying to talk to you about Tommy Boom Boom Tuberville, <laughs> what he's been um, doing on the race level and what he's been doing on the hurting the troops level. He's having a banner month. Well, yeah, he is. He is a real piece of work. His, you know, out here in, in Los Angeles, as you know, uh, we're on the verge potentially of a SAG after strike and we're, you know, the Writers Guild is on strike. And um, I, there used to be a union for the military and it was the GOP. And yeah. they uh, have disappeared um, when it comes to the military and supporting the military. I, it, it, they used to count on them for votes. Um, yes. And I don't think that the, the people in the, the whatever the, the MAGA Republicans should should count on that anymore, because when you're delaying that many promotions, that means the people behind them are being delayed. That means the people behind them are being delayed when exactly. the Marines don't have somebody in charge who sent it, you know, confirmed. Yeah, that's a problem. And, and the Marines don't like that. They all stick together yes. and, you know, honor you know, the whole duty, the whole thing. And so they stick together and and they're seeing this. And you can you can get on your high horse all you want about your your social agenda. But the reality is, is that you have a job to do. You're not doing it. I think that the Democrats should should make them own it. But I also think that when you don't do your job, you don't get paid. And they, sh- he, you know, you forget censuring. Who gives a crap? Uh, take away their paycheck. Right on. Yeah. Why well, would he? I would even go further than that. I think, I, I'm sorry, I don't think we should, uh, no, this, uh, John, I'm sorry, I disagree with you on this. This is okay. too serious now. It's time for us to demand an anti-domestic terrorism act that, and if we had that in federal law, if these cowards, these I agree. people with a lack of backbones would get up and do their damn both sides I on agree. this issue. If, I'm sorry, I just want to say this. Because I think the time has come. If you want to punish these people, you need to get it into law. And it's yes. time to hold these hate groups accountable. I don't give a damn anymore about that. I agree, The Steve. fact is, we have to think about all of us in this country, I'm not with just you. these stupid... No, I'm with you. I, I agree with everything you say. I'm just saying it with the caveat that the Republicans will block it and Democrats should use well, that to win elections. Because the, the majority, they are out of step. Next year, they need to get some backbone and do something already. They have given up prove it yes they don't get to claim they're the party of the troops anymore they just the troops to them are like jesus they wave it around to brag and then they vote against it i gotta run Stephen, but i thank you so much for your call can you stay with us dr tracy till after the break absolutely (laughs) 
You want to participate in your own segment again? We can do that if you want. Okay, quick break. We'll be right back with Tracy Pearson. This is Progress. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. And welcome back. Hey, Dr. Tracy, you never got a chance to give us your thoughts on Senator Tuberville. He's a jerk. No, uh, he's really victimizing the military, and and it really upsets me because these are folks that can't do anything but follow orders. It's not like they can strike like actors or writers or anybody else, frankly. And it's really abusive and really horrible, and he should be absolutely friggin' ashamed of himself. He hadn't served a day in his life, and he needs to go find a couch to sit down and watch some football or basketball, whatever the hell he coached, and be quiet. I literally have come to believe that his whole, um, I hate racism, but white nationalists are just good Americans who are misunderstood. I I, kind of feel like this is a distraction. This is a a useful, he'd rather... If, if we're accusing him of being a racist, he gets more votes back home, and we're not talking about the fact that he's holding up the commandant of the Marine Corps being named. I think he thinks he's being cute. I think that it sounds too cute by half, and mm. he can't be that freaking stupid. And and so, I mean, nobody can be that freaking stupid except for Donald Trump. And he just it just sounds too cute by half the way he says it. Tracy, how do we follow you and keep up with all your many doings? I am everywhere at Tracy Explains. I have a Substack, Dr. Tracy Explains. I am over on threads. People follow me. I, I don't even know how it works yet, really. I'm just I don't either. I'll, I'll follow you on threads if I'm not already following you. I probably am already. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dr. Chris and Thea. Thank you. Uh, what a great show we had tonight. We'll be back again for some more tomorrow. This is SiriusXM Progress. Peace. Peace.